0: Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable, board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Will Sorrell, founder of Clarendon Games, a London-based game publisher. To date, Clarendon has launched 12 game titles and sold over 150,000 copies worldwide. They've also won numerous awards for game design. Will, welcome to the binge. How are you doing?
1: Very good, thank you. Great to be here.
0: Oh, it's great to have you. Now, I actually think the, the the title number is actually higher than that. That was the original bio we had for you, but I think you've done quite a bit uh, more than that uh, since uh, uh, you know since I got that. But let's let's get into the history on this because I think you got a pretty amazing story, which goes all the way back to two thousand twelve when this started. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you were doing uh, before uh, we got into this?
1: well i was actually it was during the um the financial crash in 2009 uh, when i was working uh, in uh, for a skincare company luxury skin cream um, helping to develop products amongst other things
0: yeah
1: that i decided that i you know wanted to start uh, making and designing board games and that was when it started really
0: that's amazing what was it like when you first made that decision like you know when you when you leave uh, a company and go into something like this full time that that's a huge shift how did you bridge that how did you bridge like the whole financial piece and kind of start from scratch?
1: well I mean I I've always been interested in product and seeing a concept go from just an idea to a physical thing on the on the shop shelf sure. And uh, even though I had never actually worked in board games or in the the industry at all, um, there was some crossover experience with with the skin creams, even though it didn't seem obvious at the time. And I just um, started working in my spare time or developing my first game um, and took a little bit of salary off off the side and moved into part-time. And then I did part-time for a few years um, before quitting that. And then doing other work, kind of freelance work to help make ends meet and then went full time in 2016. So there was a little bit of a transition
0: there then, I guess. So it wasn't just a stop one and then in, into the other, I guess. Is that is that correct?
1: That's right. Yeah, there was quite a long transitional process. Um, of um, It definitely wasn't overnight. And, uh, and so it took... It took quite a lot of hard work, a lot of uh, working on weekends and my lunch break and evenings and that sort of thing um, before I could finally, um, you know, start doing it full time. And what was this first game? What was the first one you did? Well, the first two came out quite quickly. The first one was an abstract strategy game called Paragon. uh, And the other game was a game that was very relevant to the time called Market Meltdown which was a game where everybody, uh, you started with a billion dollars um, of other people's money. You inevitably go bust. And whoever could stay afloat the longest uh, was the winner. But if you lost it all, it didn't matter because it wasn't your money. So you're a banker and, and it was only other people's savings that you were losing. So it wasn't a big deal. And then,
0: so you said like it was timely at the at the time. So is this a game that's no longer available or, or how have you kind of helped, you know, that game grow with how the times have uh, changed and things have kind of bounced back?
1: Actually, it's not available at the moment. Um, It was, it got a lot of coverage at the time, you know, it was very timely. Um, And, but actually, when, when the news, the news cycle moved on, it it was it was harder, it was a harder sell, it was tougher to sell. So um, that was quite quite an interesting lesson I learned from uh, making a game uh, with with that kind of theme at, you know at that point in time
0: and how long have you been like a lot of the people we talk to have been doing games way before they actually got into it seriously the journey started way before that like is this something you've been doing since you were even like younger or is this uh, kind of a passion that kind of came on later in life
1: well i always enjoyed playing games because it brought everyone together made everyone laugh it was great fun. Um, but I always used to enjoy trying to invent games and create games, uh, not just board games, but, but also, you know, other kind of sports or outdoor activities and games and that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, I enjoy, I love stories. I, I love, uh, you know, sort of trying to come up with fun, fun things to do. So there definitely was a, um, There definitely was a a sort of, there was something, you know, I was definitely into it as a youngster and and growing up.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's quite the leap, right? So a lot of people that um, like to make games or design games usually start when they're younger, modifying another game that they're playing and doing their own kind of house rules. And it kind of evolves from there. But it's a big leap, right? When you finally say, you know what, I'm going to actually go from having ideas to now, publishing this, right? Actually putting this in into something physical that I can sell. Um, how did you kind of bring that team together? Like what what did the resources look like? So you obviously had, you know, maybe some contacts that you had in these kind of parallel industries. Um, but what did that first kind of virtual team look like? How did you, you know, do everything from set up the distribution to the manufacturing and, and things like that? How did that come together for
1: you? Um, well, um, I guess with the actual developing of the, the ideas initially i just i just sort of exploited friends and family yeah, uh, yeah and and would play test ideas and 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 try to develop it as best i could um actually the first manufacturing uh, that i found was was a bit of a struggle to be honest um but but we quickly i quickly moved on to Um, a better a better system and actually my experience uh with uh the skincare was useful because i i had learned there that that the best thing to do is is to find a factory that's already making goods uh for you know the kind of goods that you want to make for for the high street you know for your market yeah you know that way you know that that all the regulatory um standards are up to scratch you know that their quality control and and they can hit their lead times is, is all what it should be so you know it's, it's, I, I managed to find a factory that that was already making board games for for sort of well-known brands and and that was um that was how how i started the, the manufacturing um, and in, in actual and, and our first stockist was is quite a well-known um gift shop in in london called fortnum and mason I actually started cold calling a lot of a lot of retailers and this this first very prestigious retailer for some reason the game we had just was fitted you know they had a space for it and I called them and then a few weeks later was the product was on the shop on the shop floor so it was uh, it was good to get that um voucher of confidence you know early on
0: yeah i guess and then it, how did you do the the artwork was this did you hire somebody to do the artwork was this your artwork how did you come up with the designs
1: hired a hired a, hired a freelance very talented freelance uh, illustrator um that we, we um i i i'm actually quite heavily involved in the art direction sure i like to get involved in in the concept and the, the title and, and the tagline uh and all that sort of stuff. So I'll do a terrible sketch, which you know looks looks appalling, um, and then and then Illustrator, a brilliant Illustrator, will then come along and turn it into something brilliant, and you know and and make all sorts of improvements. But I have found though that the more specific the uh, the the brief, uh, the more detailed the brief, the the better it ends up being because um right because you don't end up with that endless back and forth. Yeah, that, you know, that that's what I have found that you, you give some a de- detailed brief and, and then the illustrator will then make it, you know, a million times better based on that.
0: So for the other developers out there that are um, that are maybe listening to this, describe what that brief process looks like. What a like a brief is like a creative brief, right? So for those that don't know the lingo, um, explain what that is or, or what that sketches out like when you're and, and then what you actually give to that to that artist.
1: Well, I think um, it is. The concept ends up being very similar to what what you actually see. Mm. Uh, if you see what I mean, I, I I could have brought some with me, but that's
0: okay. We got a lot of audio people listening just on the audio, but like it, right. it's a document that you're going to give them, right? So you give them a document that says, "Here's the brand." Uh, here's kind of maybe the um, the mood, right? Maybe do you provide them some imagery, so some uh, comparative imagery to say, you know, this is the kind of theme and, and vibe we're looking for in this package design. Um, here's what needs to be on the front panel, back panel, and so forth. Is that kind of how you put together that that brief?
1: Yeah, there'll be, yeah, some some mood, some element, elements of mood, sure. some illustrations that I found on the web. So you create a sort of collage, of sort of so I can convey the style as well as what's actually going to be on there. Yeah. Um, and then, and then sort of hand me sort of hand drawing things, um, to try. So, so, so it's as best I can, um, to, to try to get something across that's as sort of specific and detailed as possible. Um, and yeah, that, that's what I, and but then, I, you know, I, I, I like to find illustrators that have very much their own identity and their own style. Yeah. So, so I sort of say, this is sort of how I, I, this is how I want it, but I want to do it. I want you to, to sort of run with this, take this and sort of do it in your very idiosyncratic style. Yeah. So I sort of have a, have a strong sense of what it will look like based on the portfolio of the illustrator. Because I, I find, you know, you know, illustrators perhaps uh, struggle to um, to sort of completely adapt their style. You know, they've got their own brilliant, unique way of doing things. Yeah. So you don't yeah. want to sort of mess with that too much, and sort of uh, and, uh, and and sort of you know try to control it too much.
0: Yeah, I think it's important to um, be as detailed as possible. While at the same time, not being constraining, if that makes sense. And we've talked yeah. to a lot of um, artists on this uh, this podcast and they all say the same thing, which is, can you please give me specifics as to if you have a card, a playing card, for instance, and you intend to have text on the bottom in a box and maybe a coin in the top that has like a, a point value, I kind of need to know that because I'm going to design the graphics around that. So if you can give them somewhat of, a, even if it's sketched out, a template as to here's kind of how this card is supposed to look or on the box. Here's the information that we, that is critical we have in the box. Then when they do the artwork, even if it's in their style, it's still going to fit right with, with the game that you've created. And that's uh, from what they're saying that that's, that's quite important. So that's very cool that, uh, that you're doing that as part of your process.
1: Yeah, very much so. Cause I think, um, you know, obviously, you know, these brilliant illustrators, it, it takes them a long time to, to do their work. So if you're yeah. not giving them the information they need, You've, you've perhaps had pre-agreed a price, they've, you know, spent hours doing something and then you come back and then you say, well, actually I want to change it to this and that. And, you know, it's, it's um, important to remember, you know, respect the the, the process, their process and, and how long it actually takes to make, make everything look as amazing as it does.
0: Now you've got two styles uh, from what I could see when I look at the different games on your, on your website, you've got kind of that party theme style fun kind of, know bubbly kind of imagery and then you've got a line of um games that have this kind of this elixir kind of imagery can you talk a little bit about that like the the two different positions you had across the uh, the portfolio
1: i think that um we wanted i just with with the sort of elixir ones i think i just wanted the games to um to look like because the the cards are bottle shaped yeah so I just thought it would be quite fun to um, to make them look sort of you know, sort of vintage and, and old. But I but I, I like the but I think if you look at them, they look to me, they look sort of unmistakably contemporary. So I like the sort of the, the sort of the mixture of the kind of very contemporary sort of sense of humor with the um, with the more sort of vintage kind of retro feel.
0: Um, yeah, they they're they're super cool. And when you create games and now that, you know, here we are eight years later and you've, you've cranked out a lot of games. Like you said you got 18 on the market. And I think you told me earlier you had 21 games in total that you've created. Um, what's the process for, for putting these games together now, right? So now that it's, it's, you know, you get, it's like, I think a lot of developers get past their initial ideas and they kind of, you know, tap out all those. And then it gets to a point in the process where, okay, now I got to come up with new stuff know from scratch not something I'm boring on that I was thinking about 20 years ago but literally something from scratch and I assume you're probably at that point now how do you go about creating the next game are you taking like submissions from other developers are you still being inspired by certain social situations what what's leading you towards your current kind of process of developing
1: I mean at at the moment it's funny because um, I'm actually in the process of developing for the first time some family games but for, for younger families okay for kids like six and up so for the first time in a few years I can actually draw on sort of ideas that have been percolating for a while yeah but definitely in the kind of party game sphere I'm sort of out of ideas um so so for the first time you know I, I can think back to games that I played when when I was little that I loved and I'm sort of developing trying to gonna develop sort of perhaps, um, you know, use those as a starting point, um, which I've been I've been looking forward to trying to develop for a few years. Um, but I would say sort of in terms of um, the, um, the process of coming up with new ideas, I think I think it's important to be interested in, in everything in the world um you know to sort of whatever's interesting you know read or like read the news look at the news and um and just kind of try and take ideas or stories from from different uh from different um paths of life paths of life as well as sort of you know be a student try and be a student of board games and look at different mechanics and the way things Mm -hmm. are done and sort of you know borrow ideas from here and there um, and as well as talking to lots of people. You know, the the the, the playtesters group, meetup group I go to, there's lots of incredible people who, who have so much knowledge and they're so generous with their with their time and their suggestions and, and sort of just playtesting loads and loads to sort of come up with new and different ideas. Um, I mean, we're we're reaching a point where we would love to um we would love to take ideas from from other de- from other developers. Um, you know, I like the idea of of getting a game where the, the sort of illust- everything's been done, like the gameplay, the illustration, and everything. And then we can just go, "That's a brilliant game." Okay, we can publish it. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. because we we've sort of reached that stage where you know our distribution is growing, and you know we need more products than than. Uh, than we can come up with. And, um, and, you know, it's just the amount of time it takes to to, to do the distribution, the administrative stuff, all that kind of thing. There's less and less time and headspace to actually develop new ideas. Yeah. Are your games manufactured in China
0: or do you make them locally? Where are they manufactured? In China. Yeah. Okay. And in terms of marketing, you've, you've had some coverage in some Pretty big uh, media channels, right? Vanity Fair, Forbes, Economist, CNBC. How did you go about that? Was that is there like a, like a, like a PR campaign you've you, you've run has been part of um, you know them organically finding you? How are some of these things come come about? Uh, you know, so there's a listeners out there that are maybe publishing their own games. They have no clue how how would I be able to do something like that. So can you? Can you touch on that a little bit on how someone would go about getting that kind of exposure besides having a great game, obviously.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, well, I, I work with a freelance PR person, uh, Bridget, who's brilliant. Um, And she, um, I think to a large extent with, you know, a lot of, I get the impression, you know, with a lot of business and industries is to do with relationships to a certain extent. So yeah, um, you know, someone who works in that world um, kind of knows knows the right people, um, and also, you know, I think it's it, you know it's about sort of thinking about it a bit and sort of tapping up the right people for for your product. You know, if someone's doing a, a gift list of board games, obviously, uh, you know, yeah, that's yeah. the sort of person you want to you want to approach. Especially now, if it's an online list, they can they can make additions at any point. It's not like it's been printed and, and it's off, you know. So, so you you can do that. Um, I think also, the theme like with the market meltdown game, lots of people who didn't write about don't write about board games were happy to write about it just because it it suited their what they wrote, wrote about, you know. Um, so, I think you know perhaps trying to think about you know who um, thinking about a bit, you know who who who's who's the best fit for. I think is, is a good way to, to go about it.
0: How is that uh, now for those listening, who may not know uh, Will is actually coming to us from the UK right now. Right. So uh, number one, I appreciate you coming on this late because I know it's uh, late hours for you over there. Um, can, can you ex- talk to us a little bit about how Brexit has impacted you?
1: Well, um, I, I know that the, the I mean, it's still up in the air. I mean, there's there's been a lot of um, news and, and not, it's been very, there's been nothing certain for years. So it's very hard to plan. It's very hard to figure out what to do. Um, I know that it's affected, um, obviously, if, if there's no deal, there's gonna be uh, trade barriers put up and it'll become almost impossible to send stock to as far as I can understand, um, to or from um, the, the the rest of the EU. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's I mean it's affected me a, a bit less than some others because my games are quite text heavy. Um, and so the barrier to entry is a bit higher because obviously games that are just images, it's easier to to make a French version or a German version or whatever. Um, you know there's a lot of translation that would be involved um for um you know if somebody wanted to sell my ga- my games in 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 a foreign language so you know i, I mainly operate in the uk and north america and, and australia and new zealand um and so but you know i'm, I'm reaching a it's reaching a point where perhaps it, it will make if you know brexit if if no trade trade deals are done then I think you know perhaps licensing will be the only way forward, rather than actually expanding any sort of distribution in on the continent as well. So it would, um, you know, it would it would make trading harder and make us all poorer, I guess.
0: Yeah, we're seeing a lot of companies, uh, you know, kind of scrambling for lack of a better word right now, trying to say, oh, okay, figure out, you know, do we set up a, a a depot in you know outside the UK in Europe, right, just so that we can send games straight from. Manufacture to those depots so that we're avoiding these huge kind of tax levies, uh, you know, going between the EU and the UK. So it's a it's a real thing that a lot of people are trying to deal with. Uh, any of our listeners here kind of in, in North America are still impacted, obviously, if they sell games into Europe and, and into the UK. Um, but certainly on, on that side of the pond, it is um, I'm sure something that's taken up a lot of mind space uh, with people to try to figure out, OK, because there is uncertainty you know, almost planning for, for different scenarios in case scenario A happens or scenario B happens or so forth. So, um, and then to compile that, you also have, um, uh, COVID, right? So COVID, the one thing I always wondered, um, with party games is it could go two ways in my mind. One is you either see a decline because you have less people able to congregate, right? Uh, So where you might have a meetup, uh, those might be canceled in the country that you're in. I know in Canada, most, almost every meetup has been canceled for the past eight months. Um, So you can't necessarily do that, but there's more uh, time spent at home with family where you might be looking for different ways to entertain yourselves. Right? So maybe party games increase. I don't know. So what have you experienced? Have you seen it kind of go one way or the other?
1: Well, actually, I mean, it's hard to sort of compare light with light, but we've definitely seen online sales um spike oh, significantly yeah. through the year. Um so, you know, we've we've definitely seen that on those on those online sales go up. Um and yeah, so I guess people have been, you know, playing playing to get playing together or managing to play over Zoom or um, um I've heard, you know, one player games obviously have so we we don't have many of those but those have gone up in in sales um so i i think um you know but obviously where 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 we so people do seem to be playing more more games um obviously there's been a drop in sales on the high street of course so yeah it's hard to sort of compare like with like and sort of say has that made up you know people playing more board games but um we've we seen. A, I'd say throughout the year, you know through lockdown, sales have gone up um, uh, you know in the first three quarters of the year. That's and we'll wait, let's wait to see what happens in in the fourth quarter.
0: So what's some advice you'd have for uh, other developers out there, starting with what what in your mind makes a good party game? Like have you have certain criteria in your mind that you're thinking, you know what? It's, you know for a successful game or a good party game, you kind of have to hit these kind of points. What have what have you experienced?
1: Well, I think to be honest, whenever I think I've seen too much of a pattern, if I then try and follow that pattern to develop a game, it often ends up being pretty rubbish or pretty yeah. boring. So, so you know, perhaps there there isn't sort of like a template to follow, and I'm still trying to figure figure it out. Um, but I guess I you know I like I like games that have a sort of a clear objective with a clear payoff. Um, that that, that sort of that's really fun and has lots of playability and but uh, where the rules are you know simple and straightforward um and i think it's you know i think it's good to to create games that don't make people too anxious or put them on the spot too much so you know so you don't want to create games that's just for the show-offs and the sort of extroverts but everyone can enjoy it and have fun um and perhaps games that allow people to have a conversation and interact and um you know so it's not too intense and, and competitive um and um and and i don't i think it's good to not have that too many sort of fiddly bets and too many you know if it's a party game yeah and um i don't think a game should uh, should last too long i think um you know it's it's good if um if uh you know, if, if you if you play for half an hour and you had a great time, you can always just play again if you want. Um, but I, and I also think with a commercial hat on, I think a game has got to seem fun too, um, based on on the packaging, and it's got to be sort of obvious sort of what you're meant to be doing. Because um, obviously, if if no one's going to buy it in the first place, then then no one's going to enjoy it. So um, and and I think that just comes from um, giving yourself the time and the head and the space to to make sure the game is good and to keep play testing and and not launch it too soon on the market
0: what's some advice you'd have for other developers out there that are just getting into this based on your experiences what would you what's one thing you would say to a developer that's starting out with their game
1: well i think definitely play it with people who aren't family and friends just family and friends i mean obviously play it with family and friends but Play it to be with people who, who, um, who really in you know who know who've developed a lot of board games. Who love board games because they'll give it to you straight, and then and then listen to that what they say, but don't listen too much. Yeah, Um, you know you you have you have the right to stick to your guns on some things, but 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 definitely it gets stress tested that way. Um, and especially if it's your first game, I think it's um, everyone kind of makes tends to. Well, I know I did. You know, games can perhaps they can be a bit too self indulgent your first one and, or or whatever. And, and you, it's good to it's good to get get that feedback, that objective feedback from people. Um, and then I think it's also good to maybe show it to a sort of uh, sort of salesperson or a buyer. Who, who can sort of give a commercial uh, perspective on it and can say if they think this will sell or that that'll sell because you know I, i'm still very much learning about all the different type demographics the type of customers out there um consumers you know what they're into and um you know premium product is very different to mass or party game is very different to a you know deep strategy game Yeah. So I think it's good to get lots of different, different perspectives and um, and, you know, and, and don't be too, um, you know, don't be too stubborn about sort of sticking to your, your original idea because um, you know, the chances are that, that it's, it's going you're going to get some, some pretty, uh, pretty harsh feedback.
0: So, so what are you, what's kind of up next here? I know you, you're, you've, You've been cranking it to, to, on average more than one game a year. Uh, I think almost two games a year now. You've been doing since you've started. How, what's the next game? There's got to be another game coming. What's What's next on on the plate?
1: Well, we we want to do games for for the younger, for the the younger, kids. Okay. younger kids, but but also kids that, that teenagers and, and adults and parents can can take part in. So we're we're sort of we're sort of trialing we're we're sort of play testing a kind of stacking game, sort of a sort of sandwich. Sandwich stacking game at the moment. It's sort of, uh, kind of, sort of tactics, but also speed.
0: Well, it sounds like a lot of fun. And how soon are you, are, are you close to to having that game be ready? Is that kind of like a six months out, or or is that one in the development cycle?
1: Well, we hope to to have um, some pre production samples in January. Um, we're still going to go to some v- virtual trade shows. Um, And there are still a few in the States that are actually operating, you know, real trade shows, unless they're not big, unless they're canceled. So we hope to have some, some pre-production samples in January so so that the game can launch um, in the summer next year. I Hopefully, touch wood.
0: Well, well, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on this podcast. If someone wants to find your games, how best do they do that?
1: Uh, well, and um, we've got our website, which is clarendongames.com or our Instagram clarendon underscore games. Um, and, um, yeah, that that's, we work through, um, sales reps called just got to have it in the States and, um, yeah, th- th- that's probably the best way or, oh, and we're on Amazon, of course, and, and a few and di- different, a number of different stores, you can find retailers, you can find that through our website.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Well, for those looking for it, I'm going to put a link uh, attached to this video. So if you're watching this video afterwards um, or if you're listening on the podcast, we'll make sure we put in the notes of the podcast. You can easily find this website. Will, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. All the best to you and your family this holiday season.
1: Thanks a lot, James. I really appreciate that. Great to talk to you. And to you. Cheers. Take care. Bye. Bye.
0: This has been an episode of the board game binge podcast hosted by James Staley produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply join the Facebook group Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.